Welcome to the States My Next Podcast. I'm your host, Sheun Thomas. Like you, I have a lot of thoughts on the news, and this is our weekly attempt to make sense of everything. So we'll start with some housekeeping. This is the third episode of the States My Next Podcast. You can find the first two wherever you listen to your podcasts. But this is really like the first one because hopefully from now on, it's going to be weekly. On these podcasts, I'll be talking about politics, American politics, movements around the world, the news, social issues, and things that come up from time to time. I think it's unfortunate that we had to go through weeks of arguments and cable news chit-chat over the census issue. Now that Trump has decided that, oh, we didn't need to do that all along, and there's this other way that he could have, or that we could have, counted the number of people in the country and still gotten to know how many citizens were in the country. There was no need to terrorize hundreds of families with undocumented people. There was no need for all the noise on cable news. There was no need, dare I even say, for the case that went all the way to the Supreme Court. Only for Trump to now say there's this other even better way that we can find out how many citizens are in the country. No shit. That is what basically everyone was saying that putting the question on the census itself would lead to an unaccounting of the people in the country for a number of reasons. The first one, and maybe you can say the most important one being that people with undocumented family members would be less likely to answer the census like conductors. You would end up undercounting the population and also you would end up undercounting the number of citizens in the country because it is likely that a family of let's say for example five has two or three citizens and then two or three undocumented five or six family like family of five or six has two or three citizens and two or three undocumented people that family is not going to you know answer any question you know, they're not going to want to fill any forms and multiply that by a factor of whatever to imagine how many people, you know, all over the country are in this type of situation. And what you end up with is a skewed count that leads to more political power for the Republicans. And the basic case being made by, you know, people like Adam Serwer and Jamel Bowie at the New York Times, Adam Serra of the Atlantic, is that this is basically a white power grab. And it's a really complex conversation, one I would love to have with either of those guys. I'm crossing my fingers now. <laughs> or, you know, anyone else who maybe, you know, wants to talk about these issues. It was a waste of everybody's time, basically. Because now Trump is now saying, oh, I didn't need to do that. And Bill Barr basically went out on TV you know, and stuck his head as far up Trump's behind as he could possibly do. 
it's 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 really like shameful and i think it particularly underscores the dysfunction that trump brings the dysfunction i'm referring to is what seems to be a pattern where government officials or government employees say one thing either to the courts or to the public and the coverage of that turns out to be bad for trump so in this census issue and supreme court case everybody was you know beating their chairs talking about how this was a win for liberals this was a win for everybody else but trump administration and you know the president is extremely thin-skinned so he just couldn't stand that he just couldn't have it you know be that they lost conservatives are crying that oh this was a big defeat for trump liberals were beating their chests and making a lot of noise and trump just came out and said oh no 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 no! never mind what my commerce secretary actually said never mind what they said to people on the record never mind like actual like published um documents from the commerce department Never mind the fact that they are apparently even saying that they've started printing census form without the question. Trump is just going to come out and say whatever he likes because he can. So basically, Trump went to the Supreme Court and told them that the reason why they wanted to put a citizenship question on the census was because they wanted to better enforce the Voting Rights Act, you know, and ensure that the count of citizens in the country is accurate. Only citizens get to vote. We want to protect the right to vote, blah, blah, blah. Turns out that we found out that some Republican operative somewhere had a secret stash of documents that basically gave away the game and confirmed what everybody suspected that they were trying to... The reason why they wanted to put that question on the census form was because they wanted to adversely affect the districting process that is currently based on population count. Everybody knew that it was a lie, but, you know, the four conservative justices in the Supreme Court went along with the lie. If not for the Chief Justice Roberts, they would have gotten away with it. He basically said, come on, guys, we know you have the right to do this, but you have to at least be honest about your reasoning for doing it. So he struck down the case and said, come back with a better reason. Now, initially, everybody thought, oh, OK, this is all well and good. Supreme Court struck it down. The Commerce Secretary, Wilbur Ross, came out to say, we're no longer putting this question on the census form. Everybody can rest. Only for Trump to come out the next day. And to be honest, I think the reason why Trump, you know, sort of like went back on what the Commerce Secretary had said and had said on the record to the press was because he didn't like the coverage. As soon as the case came down and as soon as the Commerce Department basically said they were no longer putting the question on the census form, Everyone was basically, oh, we won, we won, we won. And you could just clearly see how that just rubbed Trump the wrong way. And he was like, oh, no, 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 no. Forget what my commerce secretary said. It's all fake news. We're going to put the question on the form anyway. And then everybody within the Justice Department and within the government as a whole had to run around and figure out a way to make sense of what Trump did. Basically, a judge, a federal judge, was on the phone with Justice Department lawyers who explicitly said that, see, judge, you and I are just reacting to the president's tweets at the same time. I have no idea what what you're talking about, which was very embarrassing for the Justice Department and which is likely the reason why they tried to change their lawyers 
although the judge is not, I agree. Now, a lot of conservatives have been like, you know, wringing their arms and making a big deal about it. Their basic argument is that they deserve to know how many citizens are in the country, which is fine. You know, a sovereign country should know how many of the people in the country are citizens, all well and good. But the argument that people like me and a lot of people on the left are making is that this is not the best way to go about that objective. If you want to know how many citizens are in your country, asking the question on the census form is not the smartest or the most productive way to go about it. The basic expert consensus is that putting the question on the form would adversely affect the accuracy of the count. So you would end up, you know, shooting yourself in the foot, as I mentioned before. And so, like, Trump has basically confirmed that this argument is correct argument because now he has he's now saying that he has instructed other agencies to gather the information, which is basically what everybody was saying that you could do in the first place. Because take driver's license, for example. If you're getting a new driver's license or renewing your driver's license, you fill a form, another form, it asks for your status in the country. And I think most government forms as well have that same question where they ask what your status in the country is. And that's a better and, I think, more accurate way to get this information, which is what everybody was saying. You know, everybody was pointing to the fact that if we're just trying to, you know, undercount people and make sure that the, you know, the demographic nature of the country stays the same, make sure that districts with people of a certain demographic status have more resources than other places. And, you know, that's just not fair and it's just not the way things should be done. Hopefully now it's the last that we've, we've heard of this. But, you know, there's a school of thought that believes that the effect has already taken place in the sense that people have already been scared off from, you know, answering questions on the census or basically like a lot of misinformation will have gone out from Trump's mouth to the average person on the streets the narrative will have been twisted, you know, and people will already be scared to answer the conductors when they come around to conduct the censors. And the effect of unaccounting might have already, you know, set in. There's nothing anybody will be able to do about that. It's just, it's just really sad. And this is another example, like I said before, of just how dysfunctional this president is and how ridiculous and full of bad faith a lot of the arguments that people on the right make it's just terrible, but I guess like maybe this is a victory in, in one way or the other. It's the victory is a victory for those of us who were on the right side of the issue, and who tried to make the point to anyone who would listen that you don't need to put a citizenship question on the census form to find out how many people in the country are citizens. Okay, so let's talk about the motherland, Africa. This month, about 54 countries came together and signed an agreement to make a pan-continental free trade zone. Now, this isn't your regular free trade zone, which is just a geographical area where goods are cheaper and you know government regulation is um, laxer and trade is more flexible there. 
This basically affects almost all of Africa and it essentially removes tariffs on trade between African countries. So the idea is that if you're exporting or importing goods to or from an African country within Africa, you don't pay any tariffs. The idea here is that, you know, goods are going to be cheaper, more flow of goods and services across Africa, more opportunities for countries to improve their GDP, improve their trade profile, improve exports to the world as well. There's a lot of potential. The estimation is that it could potentially create a $3.4 trillion trade block. And it's, you know, the coverage of this agreement is all positive or rosy. Apparently, um, intra-African trade, I think as of 2017, is about 19%, whereas um, trade to Asia and Europe is about 69%. IMF estimates that, you know, this could increase trade by a factor of 15 to 25%, you know, and like I mentioned before, create trillions of dollars worth of opportunities. It, it sounds like a really, really good idea when you look at it initially. Just the fact that it's supposed to spur up massive investments in the continent. It's supposed to encourage businesses to thrive and flourish. Because if you just remove the tariffs like import duties or import levies, none of that is going to be implemented on trade essentially between African countries now. And the idea is that you know it's supposed to just supercharge the economy. Large, densely populated countries like Nigeria, you know, with fairly developed, um, I would say, industries are supposed to benefit from this. Although within Africa, South Africa stands to probably gain the most because they have probably the most advanced economy in Africa. And they already have like footprints in a lot of countries like Nigeria as well. This is just going to, you know, further expand their their trade um the some of the you know concerns about the free trade agreement right now and this is just me looking for something to be concerned about because ideally if you're looking at something if you're analyzing something you should also like you know weigh the pros and cons one of the major issues is that you know somebody might have to put some money upfront to facilitate you know this trade like in many cases the government might have to step in to invest to be able to you know implementation of of, of this future agreement is going to be very tough because for a lot of african countries they don't have a developed economy enough to produce for themselves locally not to talk of you know facilitating exports is, is there, there's a lot of potential for for fraud, you know, because if 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 it means if it's cheaper goods, it means that there's opportunity for profit. So the margin that a manufacturer can make on on his um, good or service is even much higher because you know there's no tariffs. Ideally, you would think that the reduction in tariffs or you know, reduction in price for the person trying to ship the good will mean that they will pass on that savings to the customer. But another way to look at it would be that 
more profit to the manufacturer, the price just remain the same. Although, you know, more like more likely than not, the savings are going to be passed on to customers and goods are going to be cheaper. Another thing we need to find out is if this free trade status is permanent or temporary. Because what, what can happen is that now that they've made like a pan-continental, basically free trade zone, if it's for a period of time, you could have a situation where a lot of companies would rush in, make the most of the free trade opportunities that exist right now. And if the government wants to try to reinstate any type of tariffs or anything like that, the companies do not have all the leverage because they've invested so much in the business. And, you know, if the government now comes five years later and says, oh, we need to start putting tariffs, because ideally these tariffs and these levies and duties that government imposes on stuff is money that the government uses, money that the government needs, you know? And so and so they, they are basically cutting off a source of revenue for the greater good of the economy. It's a gamble, one that could very well work out, but the implementation needs to be on point. And, you know, as I mentioned before, there is a massive potential for, for, for fraud because you can basically see a situation where a lot of these politicians with their stolen money, millions and millions of dollars, they could be the ones to now, they can now find ways to launder the money since the market for goods and services is supposed to, you know, significantly increase based on these free trade agreements. You now have a lot of opportunity for people with dollars stashed away in soccer way somewhere to bring it out and invest in, in business. I mean, you know, trickle-down economy, they invest, they hire people, it works, but there's still the potential for fraud. So the implementation needs to be done very, very well, and people need to keep an eye on it. The major broker in this free trade agreement between Africa countries turns out to be our Uncle China, our great Uncle China, who played a significant role in brokering this deal. Now, at, as of 2017, apparently trade with China and Africa is about you know $148 billion. That's a lot of money. And Chinese companies could be the ones effectively doing the local manufacturing in African countries, you know, because it's not going to, the free trade thing would just now affect African companies. Any company basically manufacturing one good in, let's say, Uganda, and wants to export it to Kenya, what they're basically saying is that no more tariffs, no more import duties, as in for that transaction specifically. So you could find a situation where, you know, as China is the one that broke out this deal, Lots of Chinese companies are coming to Africa to start manufacturing goods. Now, you know, does the African man benefit from this? We'll have to wait and see. In the sense that the profits, a lot of the profits that are being made will likely be um, repatriated back out of the country. What the African, you know, um, country starts to benefit from this is that, or the bargain will be that, you know, the Chinese companies will hire local people, train them, a lot of the standard of living is going to go higher because there will be more, you could say, better quality, cheaper, available consumer goods, you know, and that's supposed to, or that could potentially increase the standard of living. The It's going to rub off, basically, you know, the, the it's have a domino effect, which is basically how economics works. You know, one 
um, the government implements a deal like this, for example, free trade zone, no tariffs, no import duties, trade increases. Company A, who was trading at, let's say, $200 million a year, because um, of this opportunity, they get to trade to $300 million, $100 million increase. In company A, they now decide that they want to hire 20 more people. And not only that, they can pay their staff X amount of money more. Those staff now have money to spend in their own daily lives. You know, the person down the road from um, the security guard of that company now, who now earns 20000 naira more, for example, the woman selling beans down the road gets to, you know, take, take more of his money because he has more money to spend on her. She goes and has more money to spend, so she spends more money in the markets where she's buying, and on and on and on and on like that. Trickle, trickle down, or in this case, more likely like a trickle up and down economy. The money is circulating, and everybody gets to benefit from it. The major thing people just need to watch out for in this case is implementation. It seems like it was, you know, they were negotiating with Nigeria for about four years before the finance agreed to it, but it's good that we're on board now. You know, um, this presents a great opportunity for trade to increase and for foreign investors to come, which is where I see the most potential. But I, it, it might be unfair to categorize things this way, but the truth is that there's there's capital, but it's dead capital in Africa. It's latent capital. It's capital tied up in either in some in a land or in buildings or human capital that is just untapped. Investments, more often than not, has to come from overseas. And this African free trade agreement has the potential to get a lot of investors, you know, interested in doing business in and across Africa. And hopefully, this will lead to significant economic growth. If, you know, the IMF estimate is correct, 25% increase in intra-African trade is going to benefit everybody. And, you know, the development can only go upwards from there because the the Nigerian entrepreneur who had to think about um, um, tariffs and duties and all of that when importing things from from another country doesn't have to consider that anymore. Also, there's the fact that even stuff that we import from 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 China or from other countries, you know, if another African country can do it. Which is why I say South Africa stands to benefit a lot because their economy is particularly advanced. And you know, even with regards to like manufacturing, if another African country can provide whatever product it is that you're trying to import from somewhere, where you're going to pay huge tariffs or huge levies, you cannot buy it from a neighboring African country. And you know, this is another attempt by the African leaders to kind of like encourage pan-African unity. Uh, you know, bring the people of Africa together, you know, for, for what it's worth. And it, it, it's really encouraging. Although, like we like I said, we have to just watch out and see how it's implemented because it sounds like a good idea. It affects almost all of Africa, but will they be able to see it through? <laughs>